It is a tremendous privilege to be Jewish, as we'll learn from the Zoyar's comment on something that Moshe Rabbeinu said when he petitioned Hashem to forgive the Jewish people after the sin of the spies. And Apostle, commenting on the Pasuk, when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, no Hashem. He says, And now may Hashem's power, so to speak, become greater. He says, The Zoyar comments as follows. Rabbi Acha and Rabbi Yoisi Omri, there were two great sages, Rabbi Acha and Rabbi Yoisi, who said, Look how meritorious, look how special the Jewish people are compared to the idolatrous nations of the world. Why? Three reasons. First of all, Hashem truly wants the Jewish people. Second, Hashem nicknames himself, so to speak, borrows the name of the Jewish people to apply to himself. Thirdly, he takes pride in the Jewish people. Because the world was only created for the sake of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, they are what keep the world in existence. And they are what sustains all the other nations on earth. So we have to wonder, why here does the Zohar describe three great things about the Jewish people? And more specifically, why specifically these three? Because surely there are other things that we could attribute to the Jewish nation that show our greatness. So what are the three? That Ebeshter is, in a sense, represented within the name Yisrael. There you have Hashem's name, so we're part of almost like a nickname of Hashem. And the fact that Ebeshter takes great pride in us. Why do we mention those and not other great things that are attributed to the Jewish people? Some of which maybe are even greater than what's listed over here. Kagoin, for example, the fact that we're called Hashem's children. Surely that's a much greater accolade than saying that Hashem chose us or he embeds his name within our name. So to explain that, Reb Leibek, the Rebbe's father, explains in his commentaries on Zoyar, that this principle of these three elements that are supposedly the great attributes and accolades of the Jewish people, they link into something that Zohar is going to say a little bit later, that the Jewish people are the heart of the world. In fact, this quotation we've just used from the Zohar actually alludes to that when they say that the Jewish people are what sustains the world. That's why these are the three attributes or accolades that are mentioned over here. Because because they correspond to the three primary types of Midois. And of course, as we well know, the whole environment wherein Midois express themselves is in the heart. We're the heart of the world. So therefore, the three accolades that are mentioned here in the Zaya relate to Midois, to attributes which are um, associated with the heart. And then Reb Leibach goes on to explain, the fact that Ebeshto wants us and therefore chose us as these people, who that aligns with Ebeshto's benevolence and kindness. The fact that Hashem, so to speak, embeds his name within the name Yisrael, so we become almost like a nickname for him, that relates to the concept of Gevura, Deshem Elikim Begematria Kinoi, because the name Elikim, which is the name representing Gevura, discipline and focused energy, that has the same Gematria value as the word Kinoi, which is a non de plume or a, a nickname. 
in the obvious one that Hashem takes pride in us, that relates to the element of Tiferes. You can even hear it in the same word, the so-called beauty that, or, or, or the, the so-called honor that Hashem takes from us. Okay, so the Sereblevik is telling us that we are the heart of the world and therefore we're associated with the three accolades and elements that represent the three major midos attributes of the heart. Would explain why here the Zohar doesn't use other accolades, which may have even represented a higher level of connection between us and Hashem, like saying we're Hashem's children. Because if you're going to call us Hashem's children, that accolade, that would relate to how the Jewish people are actually fundamentally beyond the entire created reality. That the thought to have Jewish people precedes and preempts every other thing that exists. And that's not what the Zoyar is talking about over here. Here in this reference of the Zoyar, what's relevant is to say how the Jewish people while we live in the context of the reality of the world we are the purpose and objective of the world and therefore sustain the world. So, uh, again, let's borrow the words that the Zohar used. The world was not created except in the merit of the Jewish people, so we're the objective. And we are what, what sustains the world and keeps it going. And therefore, over here, what are we describing? Not the greatness of the Jewish people as we precede or supersede the world, but rather the greatness of our impact within the world. However, there are some very simple questions on the Pasuk itself, actually, that we have to ask, which will relate to what the Zoya is telling us. So we need to understand two things. Aleph. What is the connection between what the Zoya is saying over here, about these three specific accolades of the Jewish people, that Hashem chose us, that Hashem embeds His name in us, that Hashem takes pride in us, how does that relate specifically to the Pasuk? That Moshe Rabbein is petitioning that Hashem's name should be somehow made greater. What's the connection? There you're talking about Hashem's name. Here you're talking about the Jewish people and our Aconites. Question number two. Base. Before the Zohar described these three Aconites, the Zohar first prefaced the Jewish people are more valuable or meritorious than the idolatrous nations. The and then for the various reasons. Now, the way the Zoyar has said it, the flow of the language in the Zoyar implies that the Zoyar is telling us something surprising, something we wouldn't have otherwise known. Now, but that's incredibly strange. Did anybody have any presumption? Did anybody for one moment imagine that the Jewish people are not more precious than the idolatrous nations? What's the Zohar coming? Announcement, ladies and gentlemen, breaking news. The Jewish people are more beloved or, or more meritorious than the idolatrous nations. Why would you think otherwise? And besides, the, this whole phrase, the sentence doesn't seem to make sense. The Jewish people are more more meritorious, more uh, valuable than the, than the idolatrous nations. 
It sounds almost like we're making a comparison. Here are the idolatrous nation. Here is the Havdila Jewish nation. Comparable to the idolatrous nations, the Jews are better. How can you say that? Jews are a completely different category of people. In a completely elevated state that is beyond in the most extreme way from the nations of the world. As we already alluded to before, even the Medrash says, we are the purpose and objective of creation. So why even use relative language? Better than. In order to understand that, let's look at the actual Pasuk itself, because there's questions on the Pasuk itself. Two questions we have to ask about the Pasuk. The Yuvan, so all of this will be clear. By first explaining the meaning of the Pasuk, which is, that Moshe Rabbeinu says, now let Hashem's strength be ex- increased. So, Pashtos, face value, what is this? At face value, Moshe is asking Hashem, please forgive the Jewish people for the sin of the spies. As the Medrash says, How does the Medrash explain it? Hashem, let your attribute of compassion override your attribute of judgment. Now that does not seem clear for two reasons. Aleph, number one, seeing as what Moshe wants is to invoke Hashem's compassion and mercy, then surely he should have used a reference to the name Havaya, which is the name of compassion and mercy. Why does he ask for an increase of the name Adnai, which Seemingly implies It sounds like Moshe is saying Take whatever the Koyach of Adnai represents And increase it And what's Adnai? Mastering Which is actually associated With the element of judgment The master over the world So it seems mismatched Moshe should have said We need more compassion right now Question number two, Bay is a more general question. This expression of specifically saying, let the name Adnai and the, the energy that it represents be increased. Why does Moshe invoke this specifically here with this particular crisis around the Miraglim and the sin of Miraglim and the reaction of the people? Why did Moshe not use a similar phrase when he wanted to achieve forgiveness for the Jewish people after the golden calf? And various other sins throughout the course of their time in the desert. Why here? So why Adnai, not Havaya, and why here? In order to understand that, we have to appreciate what went wrong with the Miraglim. Where and how were the Miraglim misguided? The reason the Miraglim did not want the Jews to go into Israel, it's not as people may, in a very misguided, superficial way, believe that they didn't, believe, they didn't think Hashem was capable. You can't say that. These were great people. 
What the Meraglim were missing is they didn't have the fullest sense of acceptance of the fact that Hashem is master. That he is the absolute master over every single element of creation, everything that he made. This was explained shortly. Because the nature of their misguided behavior was to corrupt or weaken the energy of Adnai, Hashem's master of the world. So Moshe had to correct that by davening that there should be an increased or endorsed element of Adnai in the world. Okay, so let's understand. What did the Chaza, what did the Miraglim do wrong? So we very well know al when they came back and they said that those people are stronger than us. The Gemara Saita tells us that the, the spies actually, they, they argued that it's as if the owner of a whole bunch of vessels is, in, is incapable of removing his vessels, in this case the Canaanite nations, from his own home. As is explained in a famous sicha in the early sichas. So, what 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 were the Meraglim arguing? Hamraglim toanu. Their argument was that to have the Eibush to run the world in a supernatural, miraculous way, could only occur in an environment like the Jews were in in the desert: clouds, mon, protection, etc. Why? Because there the Jewish people were divorced from the ordinary reality of how normal settlement works. And they were completely aloof from any involvement in the real dirty work of this world. So they were completely immune and, and, and excused from the rules of nature. They were in a beautiful bubble of spirituality and miracles. So that's a place where you could experience miracles. But the Meraglim figured, Soon as the Jews move into a regular, ordinary, settled human habitat in Israel, And in that context, the Torah gives instructions, which are quite balabatish. When you enter this land, you have to plant your fields for six years and all the other things. As the expression goes, people have to plow, they have to plant. So the Torah is now defining. defining. Torah, this album is to understand it. The Torah is now defining that Jewish life has to comply with the natural systems. See, at the same time, it's not possible. You can't at the same time behave in a supernatural way. So if you have to conform to the reality of nature, and in the natural order, the Canaanite nations are more powerful than the Jewish nations. You're not allowed to rely on miracles. So therefore you have to avoid going into that land because you're going into the world of nature. In the world of nature, they have the upper hand. We can't overcome them in the natural order, so we dare not go there. We have to stay where we are, protected in the desert. That's what it really means when they said, that it's as if the owner can't remove his own furniture. They weren't rejecting Hashem, 
There's no question that the Meraglim accepted that Hashem is capable of miracles. There's no question that they accepted that the natural order is divinely run. Look at what they said. They actually said it in their own words. They referred to the Canaanite nations as the Abishtha's property. They didn't deny that. They had a much more subtle argument. Seeing as the controller, the boss, the Odoin, he structured and established his house, i.e. the world, to follow the natural order. He decided that's how it is. Then obviously they bestow wants us to conform to the natural order because he created it. And that's why he can't remove his furniture. It wouldn't make any sense that the Abishta designed and devised a natural order and then he's going to smash it and change it. So that's where the Miraglim got stuck. They believed that Hashem wanted the natural order to be bound to the natural order and we don't have the rights to, to change that. And in the natural order, Israel's a dangerous place for us. Don't go there. But they were wrong. Because the truth is, in spite of the fact that Hashem designed the world to have natural structures and rules, it is impossible to suggest, God forbid, that the Ebesh is now chained and bound. Eino Yochel has no options. And has to follow only the natural order. Because fundamentally we have to believe that Ebesh is capable of anything at will. And therefore at any time it's always possible for the Ebesh to completely change the natural order. Not only can he change the natural order, if that's the Abishtha's reality, that nature is not absolute and he can change it like this, it's our reality too. Why? Because we are a spark of Hashem. As the Pasuk says, we are a part of the Abishtha. And therefore, we're not bound by the rules and parameters of nature. And therefore, when, and, when necessary, we are capable of transcending the natural reality. That's what it means to be Jewish. That's when the Miraglim went wrong. They didn't, they didn't appreciate that the Adnos, the absolute authority of Hashem that can do anything and that His people can achieve anything beyond the rules of nature, they didn't believe that was possible. They, they figured Hashem fixed the rules of nature and that's how it is. So the Zerbi should be Moshe That's why Moshe Rabbeinu now has to petition. Let's increase and elevate and, and grow the capacity, the prestige of the Adnai. Shem Adnai is the name that relates to how the control of nature works. As the Altareb explains, that this attribute from Hashem, which is represented by this name, this is what motivates the reality of creation that feels independent of Hashem. 
avod biyachad in ze, while simultaneously, moira shem ze, shakadosh baruchu, oddoin lechobri yasecha. Whereas at the same time that it facilitates the natural order, it emphasizes that there is a controller of the natural order, the ultimate master, who is the complete in charge CEO, boss of the reality of the world, who can change anything at will, when he wants, as he wants, without any limitations, and that's Hashem. In other words, when the spies argued, that even the Ebrishter as the Balabas cannot shift the furniture, Pogmu b'shem Adnai, they diminished or undermined the value of what Adnai represents. Be'adnus HaKadosh HaKadosh Baruch HaLabriya. It undermined Ebrishter's absolute control and mastery over the world. To which Moshe had to respond and petition, Vata yigdal no koyach Adnai. She is gadol v'yizgale ha-koyach da-Adnai. To elevate and to reveal the true power of Adnai, i.e. Sh'akadosh Baruch Hu Balabais b'mloi ha-mid al-anogasateva that Debrishter has absolute control over the world. That's the meaning of Vata yigdal no koyach Adnai. V'hine. So now that we see that the Miraglim missed the full impact of what it means that Eibishter is completely in control. They missed the subtlety that the Eibishter did define the reality of creation, but he's not bound by it at all. Why did the Miraglim miss that insight into Hashem's mastery? Because they lacked an appreciation for the greatness of what it is to be Jewish. They missed the fact that a Jewish person, even while a citizen of planet Earth, involved and enmeshed in the reality of the world, still are fundamentally not bound by nature. The Miragli missed that point. We are not bound by nature. As far as they were concerned, their perspective was, when do you see the greatness of the Jewish people? Any time that the Jews connect to Hashem in a way that is beyond the day-to-day experience of the world, then you can see Jewish greatness. In other words, As long as a Jew is in a yeshiva, learning Torah, or in a shul davening, or a Jew is engaged with a mitzvah, then a Jew is special, then a Jew is beyond this world. But they believe when a Jew is involved in ordinary things, eating, exercise, business, socializing, tourism, etc. When for all intents and purposes, to the untrained eye, the Jew at that time looks exactly like anybody else. At that point, the Miraglim did not believe that we had any fundamental value more than the rest of the world. Because the Miraglim were not sensitive enough to the absolute and unique greatness of being Jewish, that our Nishamas are literally a piece of Hashem. Which means that it means that while we are within the natural space, we are completely beyond the natural reality. 
So naturally, they automatically also lack the realization that Abish is the ultimate master over every single created entity. They miss the concept that within the natural order, what is the real reality is the Abishta beyond the natural order. That explains why from the Zayar starts to speak about the greatness of the Jewish people because that's what the Meraglim were missing and what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to reinstate in a clearer, greater sense. The so-called increasing or elevating the power of Adnai in the way that it relates to the Jewish experience, the Jewish people, is specifically expressed by recognizing the great uniqueness of the Jewish people compared to the other nations. Meaning, even when Jewish people are completely enveloped in the darkness and obscurement of the world, to the point that externally, superficially, you can't actually see the difference between them and everybody else. To the extent that people may even mistakenly believe that the Jews are not fundamentally different to anybody else. Even in that murky context, the reality, the truth is, even in that setting, the Jewish people are more refined, more elevated, more unique, more special, more meritorious than those other nations. And even in a scenario where they look to be identical and appear to do the identical things, they are fundamentally different. That's the Zohar's argument. And then it drills down into details. It drills down into three specific categories. That the Ebishter chooses us and the Ebishter embeds his name within us and that he takes pride in us. Come on, why those three? Because the objective of the Zohar is to say, just when you think we look the same as others, that's when you have to recognize we're not the same. So here are three elements that could be applied to creation in general, and therefore in each one of them we have to see the uniqueness of the Jewish people. We'll explain it in just a moment. That even in areas where other parts of creation could have similar accolades, that's where you have to recognize our accolades are absolutely unique. So number one, that they should chose us. Amr Chazal, as we well know, the, the Mishnah in Prekyavis tells us, everything that Hashem created in His world, He did not create anything that was without purpose. In other words, if Hashem created every single thing with purpose, that means that Hashem chose every single thing to suit something that He wants to be and wants to happen. So David chooses the whole world. And yet, the uniqueness of being what Hashem really wants and really chooses is reserved only for us, the Jewish people. Why? Seeing as the Jewish people are the ultimate goal and objective for which there was a creation, 
Nimza, so it turns out, Shaharotzin al Habriya Vinyonehu Lashem Rotzin Acher. Then everything else that Debisha created, and the fact that Debisha wanted everything else to exist, was to facilitate an ultimate objective. Kinyan Tofel Vemtsoi Likakavona Yisrael. Everything else is secondary or a means to an end to facilitate the true objective, which is the Jewish people. But there's no fundamental wish for there to be the rest of existence. They're there to facilitate. They're not the goal and objective. The truest, deepest motivation that Hashem has for creation is so that there should be Jewish people. As the Zoya says, His Ratzin is directed only to us. And so naturally, of course, if Hashem then extends any rotten to the rest of the world, it is pure benevolence, as the Rebbe's father said, this rotten is associated with the attribute of chesed. But what we need to know is, Hashem wants everything to exist to facilitate something else. He wants us to exist because He wants us to exist with the true rotten. Let's look at the next one, that Hashem embeds His name or uses us as a name for Him. That the Jewish people are the nickname of Hashem, so to speak. So, what is a nickname? A nickname hides the true name. Because the truth is that a nickname doesn't always have to be an abbreviated form of the name or a, a commentary on the name. Which, of course, would show a direct link to the name itself. Sometimes a nickname is not even in the same language that the name is. And yet at the same time, on the other hand, there has to be some link between the nickname and the person's name. So you could look at the nickname and kind of work out what the name was. I think of... Children sometimes get a name because a sibling couldn't pronounce their name properly. So that becomes their nickname. You, you can work it out afterwards what their real name was. We and the Hashem have a similar relationship. Our reality is that each of us is literally a piece of Hashem. So you can detect, you can, you can sense the godliness within us. Elishesh was a base of fun, but there are two possible ways that that could play out. As long as a Jewish person is engaged with soul activities, then anybody who sees us, you're Jewish. I can see you got filling on, you're Jewish. I can see you're reading a Torah, you're Jewish. You only eat kosher, I can see you're Jewish. Like the Pesach says, that the nations of the world will see literally that Hashem's name is kind of on your face. But when a Jew is walking down the street, on his cell phone, engaged with physical activities, then it's quite common that a person can't see the unique Jewish holy aura of that person. Another, another businessman walking down Wall Street speaking on his phone. The non-Jewish person doesn't detect that this is a uniquely Jewish individual. 
ולפעמים גם יהודי להבדיל למכה בככה. It's even possible that a fellow Jew might not recognize that this person is Jewish. So in that scenario where a Jew is not doing Jewish holy things, at that point he's like the nickname that in a sense obscures and hides the real name. The, the godly soul is being hidden at that point. And that is, as we said, the element of that's the gevura energy where things are withheld or restricted or focused in a very specific way and therefore block the complete awareness and revelation. The reality is that in every scenario, a Jewish person represents godliness, at least alludes to godliness. The thing is, at that point, it's not clear to every person. You have to be a little bit of an expert to notice that this is a Jewish person, as the Rebbe will relate in a pretty well-known story. Once gave tremendous accolades for certain simple Jews. He said they have incredible, incredible Midas. So there was a particular Chassid over there. He said, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see this greatness that you're talking about. So this he, he was a diamond dealer and he had a pack of diamonds with him at the time. He was a big diamond merchant. So let me see your pack of diamonds. So of course, he came forward and he showed the diamonds that he had on hand. And he pointed out one specific stone and said, That is an outstanding stone, class of its own. And the Rebbe Hashab said exactly what he had just said. I don't see it. So the Chassid says to him, You have to be an expert. To which the Rebbe Hashab famously replied, Yehudi Every Jew is an outstanding diamond. You just have to be an expert. So what's relevant to us is, you have to be an expert to see on the face of a Jewish person who is not currently engaged in a holy activity, that is actually a holy individual. The And that's what the Zohar is telling us, which you wouldn't have expected. Remember, our question was, you're telling me that the greatness of the Jewish people, the Gabe, the nations of the world, is a big surprise. What's the big surprise? Here's what's surprising about it. That the Jewish people are beyond and greater and more special than the nations. Even when it's not noticeable, when they're not directly engaged in holy activities, you can't see on their face that they're godly. You don't see the clarity of Hashem's name written, so to speak, on their foreheads. So when we're doing what Hashem wants, and you can see clearly our holiness, that's uniquely Jewish. The fact that we might allude to Hashem, the fact that you might be able to detect an un 
uh, unclear or or unrevealed element of godly energy. That's something which maybe you could see elsewhere in the rest of creation. And therefore it's a big deal to speak about it in the context of Jewish people, as we'll see in a moment. Let's be honest. What's the reality of every single thing that exists? Its truest reality is the word of Hashem that gives it life at every moment. As long as a person is an expert, you could actually, if you were a real expert, you could look at any physical thing and detect what particular code of divine input makes it live. And you can extrapolate this from a story that's told about the Magid of Mesrich. That he could actually look at something that a human being had produced and identify the nature of the Creator in, in a physical sense. As the story goes, they once came across a particular utensil and he was able to identify that the person who made it, the artisan, was blind in one eye. So anything in the creation could become a dot to dot to help us to define the divine energy that makes it live. And yet he has the surprise. Because he said, what's the big surprise the Zara is telling us? The ultimate clue to godliness, even when not clearly expressed, is Bivnei Sol Dafka, specifically in the Jewish people. Because you can't really say that the whole created reality is all just a hint to Hashem. The reality is when you look at the rest of the world, it appears to be independent of Hashem, sometimes even appears to contradict Hashem. Why? Because everything that exists was made. And when something is made, it's not automatic that you should be able to identify who made it. But we're not made, the Jewish people. We're a piece of Hashem. We're part of the Creator, not a creation. Therefore, here is the surprising part that the Zoya is telling us, even when they're in a state where things are hidden, you don't see godliness. You don't see that they're engaged with Torah mitzvahs. In that environment, they are. The reality is completely one with Hashem. So therefore, even at the time that they're not radiating divine energy, at the very least, they're alluding to divine energy. That's the uniqueness of us. You look at the rest of the world, it's not natural. You have to be an expert to see the hint at godliness. Look at a Jewish person, it should be there automatically. Thirdly, and then the fact that Hashem takes pride in us, that's because the divine manifestation, the, the manifestation of divine presence as it is experienced in the Jewish reality, has a certain advantage even to the divine presence, perhaps at higher realms. Which is why, as we well know from Bosni Legani, the real core of the Shekhinah was originally and is ultimately intended again to be in the lowest realm. That's what Abishad takes pride in us. Because our avoider elevates the Shechina. 
creates pride in a sense to the Shechina. Our avoider can impact the Shechina in a way that the Shechina does not naturally have. And as we said, this is something that has to be pointed out because anything which you may feel also exists in the normal world and is actually unique to the Jewish people has to be pointed out for us. Every single thing that Hashem brings into life and keeps alive. All express Hashem's greatness. Look at a sunset. Look at a mountain. Look at birth. They all express Hashem's greatness. Everything that David created, he created for his glory. Which means, everything that is created adds more greatness, more honor, more beauty, more prestige to Hashem. And every single thing that is created highlights Hashem's reign, kingship, authority over the world. As the Pasuk, which is quoted in this context, Hashem will always be king. How? Through our recognition of the greatness of creation. In spite of the fact that everything adds to Hashem's so-called prestige, it doesn't touch, doesn't get close to what it is, the honor, glory that we bring to Hashem, the pride that we bring to Hashem. Like the Gemara tells us in Brachas, that David says, I'm going to make you, the Jewish people, a unique category, a unique unit in this world. Kavon, why? Because as we said before, because because the Jewish people are the ultimate goal and objective for the entire creation. So we give the ultimate glory to Hashem. What could we compare this to? A king who built a beautiful palace for his daughter, the princess, and her husband. It goes without saying. The palace itself adds to the king's prestige. He's got another palace. Only a great king like him could build such a magnificent palace like this. In spite of all the prestige, and everybody's going to ooh and ah over the palace that he built. In the king's reality, as beautiful, magnificent as the house and the furniture and the, ta- the, the paintings and who knows what's in there, might be, of course it pales in comparison compared to how much gr- greatness, glory, nachas he gets from his daughter and her husband. But the same applies in our context. Everything that David should create, every single thing adds to Hashem's cover to his glory and so-called prestige. But who expresses the ultimate greatness of Hashem? That he takes the most pride in. Who has the as the Zohar said? Only that one unique nation on earth. And that is the privilege and the beauty of being a Jewish person.